Greetings, Dr. Beckett. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Theorizing that one could time travel within his own lifetime, Dr. Sam Beckett stepped into the Quantum Leap Accelerator and vanished. He awoke to find himself trapped in the past, facing mirror images that were not his own, and driven by an unknown force to change history for the better. His only guide on this journey is Al, an observer from his own time, who appears in the form of a hologram that only Sam can see and hear. And so Dr. Beckett finds himself leaping from life to life, striving to put right what once went wrong, and hoping each time that his next leap will be the leap home. You are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. This is episode... 139, Revisiting Honeymoon Express. Oh, boy. Don't be embarrassed, folks. After 27 years on the Honeymoon Express, I've seen more than kissing. And before we even left the station, too. Honeymoon Express? That's what we call the Niagara Falls run. Most of these folks on this train are on their honeymoon. I'm on honeymoon. Admiral, are you trying to tell this committee that God has taken control of Project Quantum Leap? That is the conclusion that Dr. Beckett and I reached after exhausting every other possible scientific explanation. Admiral. I believe the point is that Dr. Beckett hasn't significantly impacted on the domestic and global conflicts of the recent past. In other words, we have only your word that this quantum leap ever really happened. In 1960, an American U-2 reconnaissance plane was shot down on an intelligence mission over the Soviet Union. By this Monday, the U-2 incident will not have occurred. Dr. Beckett is going to abort the mission thereby changing history on a global basis and also proving that he's back there. You have until Monday at 10. Al, I'm a newlywed. Can you believe it? And on my honeymoon. What am I here to do? You're here to have significant impact on an event of global importance. What? In two days, the Russians are going to shoot down the U-2. And I'm here to change that? Um, Al, how does a New York cop get the president of the United States to call off a top-secret mission. Well, you get your bride there to call her daddy, who's a U.S. senator and also Ike's golfing buddy. Sam, trust me on this one. You're here to stop the U-2. What does Ziggy say? He says there's a 78%, 78.6% chance you're here to help Diane pass her bar exam, bar exam. Uh-huh. Well, more like it. Tom! Tom, help me! You all right? I had a dream about you last night, Dion. You know, you know this man? You didn't tell him, Dion. I'm her husband. Ex-husband. I should have known she would never let me go. Do you think Dion married you because you're a policeman? Maybe subconsciously she was seeking a protector. You're not afraid of me? No. 
You should be. I'm going to kill you. No, you're not. Yes, he is. Tom McBride was found dead on this train. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast, everyone. I'm Christopher DeFilippis. I'm Alison Pregler. And I'm Matt Dale. And today we are at the season two premiere honeymoon express all aboard i guess um hey guys uh, i don't know if i've told you this but i'm not crazy about this episode <laughs> i'm getting that vibe chris that's so funny um yeah i mean uh i know we usually have a little bit of banter beforehand but uh i feel like um you know we haven't recorded in so long just behind the scenes i was away for like two weekends and if so if i feel like i'm i'm like not really grooving just yet i think uh it's gonna take me a second to get back in into it. I'm, I'm happy to be talking to you guys about this, though, because, um, you know, there was a lot, a lot going on in this episode, and I think it really needs to be dissected. You just wish that after all this time off, we were coming back with Thou Shalt Not, right? <laughs> <laughs> Fan favorite. Yeah. Fan favorite Thou Shalt Not, yeah. <laughs> Why don't we get some, some initial impressions? Um, Allison, what do you think about Honeymoon Express? <laughs> I think it's a great episode. I have fun with it. I think like it's it's really starting to solidify uh, what the show became later. I think they really had the characters down better than they had in season one. So uh, yeah, I liked this one. Hmm. And how about you, Matt? Yeah, this is a. I, I, what's your problem, Chris? <laughs> we'll come to that. This is uh, yeah. This has got a really fun leap plot. It's uh, got some cool future project law stuff what's not to like yeah this is fun i i like this all right i mean maybe i'm being a little hard on the episode I would say two-thirds of the episode is actually very good. Mostly the project stuff and the lore stuff and the Sam and Al stuff is, is terrific. I, I have nothing but praise in those regards, right? But I can't get past Roger. But what about Roger? Uh, uh, but he's I, a dream. <laughs> they were in the snow. <laughs> two-thirds of this was, was really good Quantum Leap. The other third of it was the worst of 80s television. It was just shit. You should be afraid. I'm going to kill you. <laughs> I, I just I expect better from Quantum Leap, and I know this is a Don written episode, but could it be any more bad guy cliche? Like, I, I've always had a problem with TV shows where the killer is just brazenly walking around threatening people's lives with seemingly no consequences and um, getting away with it. And it's just like, how many times that he tries to freaking straight up kidnap Diane off the train and Sam just lets him walk away? Well, what, what was he supposed to do? He's a cop. He's got handcuffs. Yeah, He's got to go arrest him. Say, I witnessed this man trying to abduct my wife. <laughs> he, was, he was calling the police and he was taking some actions. I mean, I get what you're saying, but like, um, I don't know. I liked it. I thought he was creepy. Uh, I liked that he seemed like a real threat. Yeah. There's some uh, villains on the show that seem kind of like cartoons. Uh, he seemed like a guy that he was getting away with the stuff because he was crazy like he didn't care if he got caught but it seemed like he'd gotten away with a lot of shit so uh i don't know i i liked some of his speeches to sam i like that uh al was like <laughs> just take him sam take him sam just kill him al's immediately yeah. like just kill this guy <laughs> al knows Al knows. He knows. Yeah, he's, he's unhinged, but uh, not Al Roger. He's unhinged, but in a in a more plausible way than some of the other unhinged bad guys we have later. 
Well, some of his backstory, too, I think helped to bolster the story, at least for me, um, how he acted, because he had this background where he could get away with stuff like that, where he'd seen a lot of shit. It seemed to fit in historically with the time. I don't know how many people were exactly like Roger, but uh, I don't know. I felt like the backstory added up that it seemed like someone who could get away with this sort of, I don't know, cloak and dagger stuff, if you, you describe it that way. Mm. I, I can't believe I'm hearing things like plausible and not a cartoon when you're talking about Roger. I mean, all he had, a, he needed a mustache to twirl and that was it. it, it no, oh, you have the cigarette on. stage business. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's lighting a cigarette. I like that he would just jump onto the train. I think the actor who plays him was actually jumping on, like grabbing onto the side of the moving train at one point. Because you could see his face. He was yeah. grabbing onto it. Which, I mean, I I don't know if it was, like, the craziest stunt, but I feel like doing that is pretty impressive. They probably wouldn't let actors do that now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I, I... My my issue with Roger is that he's just so screamingly bad, and the backstory that they give him to try to be like part of the resistance, uh, you know, battling the Nazis and killing his own mother—it's just so ridiculously over the top, and it it. It's, I guess it's a pet peeve of mine then. It's, it's someone that can just, you know, casually murder someone and then get on a train and then casually threaten a police officer. And they seem to be very chill about the entire thing. I understand what you're saying, Allison. Sam eventually does something. But it seems to me it's like this was one third of three things that Don needed to put in the episode. And therefore, it was needlessly stretched out in ways that just seemed very implausible to me because we needed to have certain beats and certain act turns and, and things like that. And it just, it, it, it's kind of a mess. It's kind of a mess. What I liked, I liked, but I think that the episode overall is just weirdly paced and just like, what is going on here? I think like the idea was that the entire time this guy is testing Sam, you know, the fact that, uh, he could arrest him if he could catch him, but I don't think he could catch him to do it. The guy's trying to kill him. He keeps getting away and he's calling the police. He's taking all these other precautions, but it's really coming down to, is he capable of killing this guy if he has to? And he's never done that before. The whole episode, that that whole part of it is leading up to the moment when Sam first kills someone on a leap. I think that yeah. was the whole point. Like, who is so bad that he has no choice? <sighs> Hmm. And I, maybe that's another thing that is a pet peeve of mine. I just feel like Quantum Leap is not like an action cop drama that demands gunplay. And I feel like that that's a TV trope. And the fact that they had it in there again just struck me as incongruous to the feel of Quantum Leap. It felt more like an 80s TV drama. I felt like we were watching like Hardcastle and McCormick or uh, Hunter or Magnum or something. I feel like we've seen a lot of episodes where this happens, actually. <laughs> Well, it didn't play it again, Seymour. That was the last one we reviewed, and that aired before this had a bunch of gunplay yeah. in it. So I, I feel like it just depends on the, the genre of the episode. It switched so often. I guess. I guess. Yeah, I didn't have a problem with Seymour, I think, because I saw that much more as a period piece and much more as it, it was already like a, a caricature of of itself. So I I, hmm, I guess maybe I feel like this one feels like mainstream TV of the time that I didn't like. Remember, I lived through this period, so it's like yeah, yeah. and mainstream TV fine though because this is season two, episode one. The show's just gone on its first break. It needs to come back, knowing that it's going to have a brand new audience. There's going to be people that have not seen it before. They can't go into it the way that season three, four, and five all open with these kind of kooky 
gimmick-heavy episodes, this has to be welcoming. And that's so I, I think it's absolutely leaning into that for that very reason. That's a fair point. I think that um honestly they, they bent over backwards to reestablish the premise many times in this episode. Mm. Again and again and again and again. <laughs> and yeah, I mean I get why they did it. I think that this is a really interesting episode, regardless of whether you like the leap plot or not, and that it really breaks the format in a way that you don't really see in a lot of the show. The fact that it's got this framing device with the committee, I think, is the first time uh, outside of the pilot that we see the stuff in the future. There's a plot interweaving with that and uh, the stuff in the past. Um, you also begin with a smaller leap uh, where mm. Sam's rescuing the cat from the mm. tree as a firefighter. I thought that was kind of interesting because it showed there were other smaller leaps maybe you didn't see. And I don't know, like, it felt like they were getting into a groove, like it was going out of season one where they're like, oh, maybe we're going to retrieve Sam every week. Oh, nuts, it didn't work. To like, <laughs> this is kind of their life now. Yeah, and I did like the cat thing. I thought that was cute. It's just another way for them to establish. I love the fact, yeah. too, that they had fun with the hologram in that scene where Alice floating in the air. It's, mm -hmm. it's another way for them to introduce to the viewer, hey, look, you know, this is what sort of he's capable of, you know? So I, I liked that aspect of it. Like I said, I liked all the Sam and Al stuff. I want to talk about that committee, though. I mean, <laughs> that was a conceit, I think, that they brought in early on to give the show a sense of urgency, a sense of some kind of Stakes, like, oh, they're going to shut you down. They're going to do this. And then it's it's a conceit that they dropped fairly quickly, if if my memory serves. So Yeah, I feel like they don't get mentioned much after this at all. Right? I mean, because they were sort of the boogeyman in the beginning. So I guess this is now the, the committee that they keep talking about, the, the people that actually dragged Al out of the imaging chamber at one point. In Starcrossed is what I'm thinking, yeah. right? right? Right. There was Starcrossed and there was this. I'm not sure there were other episodes where they were mentioned. So there's, there's just some logical questions I have here. They don't believe the quantum leap worked. They have no concrete evidence. Yet, just in the second episode, they were there at the project witnessing Al talking to Sam and concerned enough that he was going to change the wrong kind of history to benefit himself to drag Al out bodily and to whip off his sash and to basically reprimand him for giving Sam the wrong kind of information. And now we get a committee that is fronted by a man who doesn't believe that it worked at all. So I'm, I'm, I, yeah, hmm. I'm a little confused. This is another two and a half billion dollars down since that happened. I can get why they might be a bit more cynical than you know, days or, or weeks after Sam first leapt and everyone's excited. It's real. It's happened. And then, yeah, maybe more months have gone by, more millions or billions of dollars have gone down the drain. Is it? Is it really? Does it really happen? Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. A lot of what was happening in Starcrossed was uh, them trying to enforce these rules, uh, and a lot of it involved Weitzman in particular. It may be eventually they're like, we don't really know anything is really happening here because all we have is Al's word. There's a line in this episode, too, where Al uh, mentions Congress. Like, he says Congress doesn't believe that Sam's leaped, and uh, he's convinced them that he's going to ma make him change the events with the U2 and all that stuff. I don't know. Is the committee Congress? Is the committee acting on behalf of Congress? I mean, I don't know. Confusing. And I don't get to, like, how does this committee think time travel works? 
Like, they're like, prove that that you could change time, and then they bring out a history book and go, aha, it still says this happened. It's like, well, how would you know that it happened if history was changed? You wouldn't know what history was before. That's how time travel would work. So how were they supposed to prove anything? It's just dumb. Alison, just going back to your point, yeah, I, I think there's definitely an argument that who we're seeing here is not the committee. Um, I'm fairly sure there's a line in some hack bit of fan fiction called foreknowledge uh, that says that, what, that Weitzman is the chairman? Um, I think I said McBride was the chairman. Honestly, I haven't read that book in at least 10 years. That's terrible, don't bother. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I did put McBride in there somewhere, and I think Weitzman, Weitzman and, and McBride do make an appearance in foreknowledge, but I think it was like he needed to call a quorum so that he could leap or something. I, honestly, I don't remember what kind of nonsense I wrote. <laughs> it's not canon. I don't think they give the main senator in this a name. No. The one that's uh, questioning Al all the time. He seems to have this adversarial relationship with him. Um, And I I think I remember reading in your book, Matt, the implication that it may be him, which you might have taken from Chris's book. I'm not sure, but... Yeah, I got got Weitzman from Chris's book and then the rest of them... Um, I put because because we have had names of other committee members in previous episodes that I sort of tried to fit into the other characters, but yeah, really we have no idea, and it is entirely plausible that Weitzman is on a, a level below these more senior people who are holding the purse strings. Hmm. I mean, he seems to have some power or some sway because he's the one that wants Sam declared non compass mentis, so he does yes. seem to have some sway with this group. But it may be that it's sort of a, a democratic committee, you know, like they all have to kind of come to agreement on these sorts of things. But if 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 the committee's reporting into the Congress, Congress men, Congress people, uh, if, <laughs> if the committee's reporting into the senators uh, in this episode, it could be that yeah, Weitzman would go back to the senators to say yeah, this whole thing's rubbish. We we need to pull out, and and they're working on their that the committee, including Weitzman, are working on the senators' behalf and passing recommendations back. Now the senators have stepped in directly to get Al to state his case. Was uh, Weitzman supposed to be a senator, or this was purely the books? Because I know he, I, I think he was a senator in Pulitzer, right? He was a senator in Pulitzer, yeah. But I don't know if that was ever established on the show. They might have just called him Weitzman. I don't remember. Um. You know, I'm checking that out right now. I don't yeah. think, he, yeah, I don't think anything was established in the show. I think he was just on the committee, but the committee could be uh, confusing. Confusing. It is weird not to give that guy a name. Weitzman controls the committee. That's all they say. So, yeah. So he controls the committee. So if this is the committee, which it, I feel like it's supposed to be the committee, then it would be him, right? Was he just written out a history in that episode? <laughs> yeah, yeah no, much. I mean. There's not one person on that committee that that looks like they have a Lincoln fetish, you know. So <laughs> yeah, that'd be stupid though. It would look real dumb. Committee implies congressional or some kind of government oversight. I mean, you have these committees that right. are in the House and in the Senate to do oversight for certain areas of government. So, I mean, committee assignments are sometimes coveted, sometimes abused, and this to me just strikes it as like some kind of Senate subcommittee to oversee this top secret program. So right. what kind of clearance do you need for something like that? And how does that work, you know? 
how did they get $43 billion into this? And then they're like, wait a second, do we have any proof that anyone yeah. traveled in time? <laughs> they bought $1 billion less than a Twitter, and they're like, wait a minute. <laughs> Before we co- we commit $2.4 billion to this, can you maybe show us something other than like, oh no, only I can see them. It's our brainwaves. Can you imagine how crazy that would sound like? The experiment was designed around our brainwaves. Oh yeah, it's just our, <laughs> our brainwaves are connected so only i can see because i'm a hologram to him and he's a hologram to me so <laughs> and then later on they could connect gushy to it so it's like well a big fat liar you could have shown them <laughs> when sam was there with anyone but again all all of that was just spoon feeding the audience see this is the premise and this is how the show works and this is what i am to him and this is what well, i'm to- it, it was establishing some things that they hadn't before though it was clarifying some things that they really hadn't gone over so I mean, the one thing that they do come down really, really firmly on is that uh, the G in the GTFW is oh, yeah, is, yeah. is what's what's going down here. I mean, God wins hands down. It's all God all the time in this episode. That felt a little abrupt, right? Because like through all of season one, they definitely had like a religious angle. Like Sam definitely seemed to be talking to God or whatever he thinks of God as some higher power. But the fact that Al is just like, yeah, both of us concluded that, yeah, it's definitely God. <laughs> like, oh, okay. I guess we're, we're here now. I mean, that's one of my favorite lines in the entire pilot is... Um, well, see, Siggy's theory is really, it's a load of crap. It's a load of crap, if, if you're going to believe this, you know? Yeah, it feels like Al would be the one who's just like, yeah, God, okay. <laughs> but I do like that he was into the idea like, oh, yeah, God's a girl. I'd like that. Yeah. <laughs> But okay, so let's say it is God, and there is like almost direct evidence at the end of this that God is actually, you know, influencing events and blowing the pages of the book so that Sam can solve the leap and, you know, ask Diane the right question. I mean, that that's right there, deus ex machina, to get him to leap. But then what's God's issue here? Like, God wants Sam to murder? God wants – right? Like, that's – I guess I, Old Testament God, That's that's pretty standard, but – it just seems incongruous to the whole the whole holy aspect of this that Sam's mission is to number one resist some kind of temptation. God is throwing this woman at him. I mean, this is like a mean God. This is like a God that's just screwing with him in many ways, testing his morals, testing his fortitude, making him kill somebody. And I, I mean, I don't know that you can argue that he made him do that, but putting him in a position where it's so likely to happen as to be almost inevitable. I mean, that's that's one messed up God. And then, <laughs> you know, and they keep throwing this woman into his path. And finally, Sam is just like, you know what? Gonna get laid. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. It leaps out. You know, it's <laughs> well, <laughs> maybe it's like they say in the movie Brain Dead. He kicks ours for the Lord. I kick ass for the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know the reference. I've not seen that for years. I remember the line now. Yeah, but, it's, a, yeah. it's a line from Peter Jackson's classic film. Brain Dead. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, with any of these shows, it's like, okay, God wants him to come up with the lyrics for Peggy Sue. The, even the committee's like, that's weak, man. He works in mysterious ways. <laughs> come yeah. on, man. You can't be telling me God wants that. Like, what is that about? But I mean, I do kind of like, and I don't know about the, the ending of this episode, um, but... 
I kind of like that this episode really delves deep into the why doesn't he affect historical events. They really want him to go into like a major historical event and change something uh, and basically weaponize uh, time travel to do whatever they want, even if it's to, to do a good cause. If they were like, oh, we're going to change the events of the, so that the presidential election changes, you know, it could, it's a slippery slope, right? And they're like, well, this, I mean, this all seems really stupid and small. And Al points out that, like, well, it was really big to the people that it affected. And when Al's bringing this up to Sam, um, that he wants him to change this U2 mission, he he seems to instinctively know, like, we've never done this before. I, I'm here for something else. Like, this just seems off. So I don't know. I kind of like that this drives the point home that Quantum Leap was never about all of these big events all the time. Yeah, I agree with that. And the fact that Sam is pressing Al on it saying, well, what does Ziggy say? Well, you know, I mean, like, that that's not as much as I like their scenes together. And I know that Al was in a complicated position here where he was forced to find some historical event that they could notice a difference, you know, a worldwide difference. But like you said, Allison, they wouldn't have noticed it anyway, because then history just always would have been that way. Yeah, it, it doesn't make sense. It's a silly thing that's just for honestly, the mundanes in the audience, right? But um, so so that's great. I get that he's got to do that. But at the same time, why wouldn't he tell Sam, hey, you're in mortal danger here. Tom is found dead on this train. And it, it, it's like he, he doesn't, does he not even consider it? I know they had something about like the research was offline because they were out of funds and he was going to transfer funds from the motor pool. But you think the first order of business would be to figure out why Sam is actually there. Forget the U2 thing. I mean, they have an internal staff at Quantum Leap working to, I guess, figure this stuff out. Yet nobody's doing it. Like, that part really confused me, and it just seemed so out of character for Al because he's on Sam's side, right? They have a line where part of the um, Ziggy's functions have been redirected somewhere, and then he says he'd like he'll redirect it from the carpool or something. There, there was something about that, but he also, you know, he does tell Sam about the fact that he's going to die. But I think he's, like you said, he's in an awkward position because he doesn't want to immediately end the leap and then have the project be shut down so he's trying to kind of go between these two things yeah i mean but it's not going to matter if the project gets shut down if sam is dead well yeah i think he's i think he would have told him that hey you're gonna die like if it was coming down to it i think he was just not telling him directly because he was trying to do several things at once so that's a good take and i also think that maybe my my opinion of this could be colored by the fact that i'm used to the classic quantum leap formula. I feel like a lot of stuff in, in season one was so loosey-goosey and it wasn't just like, you know, leap, Al gives the da data dump, Sam has to do this, this, and this, and then he leaps out. I feel like there was a lot more flow in these early episodes and it wasn't so nailed down and so pat and dry. I think that that's something that happened as the show went on and maybe my recollection of that, of how Quantum Leap is supposed to work, is coloring my opinion of how things unfolded in this episode. Because, like I said, the stuff between Sam and Al is terrific, and I wouldn't change any mm. of that. So, I mean, if we sacrifice some logic <laughs> for the sake of character stuff, um, I don't mind, I guess. Yeah, you know? I mean, I, I think he was just not telling him that right away because, uh, again, he had to uh, make sure that the project wasn't shut down because Al faces losing him forever. Mm. Like, he even says that uh, to the committee. He says, like, But if you kill this project... You will end one of the greatest adventures mankind has ever undertaken. And more important, 
you will leave a brave man back there alone. Like, he says that's more important than the greatest adventure mankind has ever taken. Like, Sam's the most important thing to him. And the fact that he can't tell Sam all of this stuff, but it's killing him inside. Like, he's like, this is going to end this project if you don't do this. And Sam's kind of being, he's kind of being hard-headed and a little bit of a dummy about it. You know, like, he's just like, "Eh, forget the project. I don't need them anymore. He's about ready to abandon the project (laughs) until he realizes that, like, Al is part of that, so he's not going to be there anymore if he doesn't have the project. And that's when it really kind of hits him. So I, I just thought that was really interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I liked that aspect of it. Um, Sam was kind of dumb there. Like, you think that he would realize that that includes Al, right? But I felt like that might have been just a manufactured moment so that you could get some emotion in there. And to show the audience that might be just jumping on what these guys mean to each other, you know? Yeah, I think it's just because Sam is kind of in his own world and has forgotten a bit that Al has his own stuff to deal with because there's a lot of stuff going on in Al's end that if you did not see that in the episode, you might not right away, if you were just seeing Sam's perspective, would you know all of that was going on? And uh, and when he finally realizes uh, what's happening, that this is going to be their last contact unless he does something, like that's one of the best moments in the show to me. Oh, 100%. When Sam tries to hug him, ugh. Oh, yeah. Best bit of almost slash fiction that uh, the show does for five years. He wants to hug him so bad. He forgets that he can't do it. Oh. He says he can't do it without him. I don't think I can make it without you, Al. It was a little manipulative, I think. I don't think. You have no heart. In a good way. I have, my black, I have a black, black heart. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I thought it was, it was interesting, too. I, I didn't notice this till later watches. But um, so after that scene, uh, Sam knows that that was their last contact unless he does something. So when he thinks that he's gotten rid of Roger, uh, he goes over to Diane and he says, like, it's all over. And he kisses her and he has this look of just utter pain on his face and you realize when he's saying it, it's all over he's talking about al too he thinks he's not going to see him again it's like oh mm. <laughs> ah, i didn't pick up on that Ooh, that's definitely what was going on there yeah 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 oh man okay 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 you win <laughs> <laughs> this is a tearjerker of an episode even if you write off all the roger stuff this, the Sam and Al stuff. Uh, there are a couple of things that, um, you know, beyond the Sam and Al stuff, I, I think we need to talk about Diane. And I think we need to talk a little bit more about Roger and maybe some of the, the logical problems that the story has. Oh, Chris, stop bringing us down with logic. <laughs> Mr. Buzzkill. Alice there is perfectly pleasant, but I don't think she was the best actress for this role. I think that she was just, the, you know, the blonde hair and the boobs, and that was about it. I, I Who? Yeah. Alice Adair, she played uh she played Diane. Oh, Alice Adair. I heard Allison, I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was completely mishearing. I, I don't know, I thought she was fine. Yeah. I, I do think I, I think the weakest element um was when she had to act old, and I don't think it was <laughs> it was helped by the fact that the old age makeup was the not makeup, very good. Oh, <laughs> and H D has not helped that. It, that that was never a good moment. No. It was better than Scott Bakula's father, but it wasn't good. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I again, I don't want to dunk on her too bad, but there are some scenes where Alice Adair is making some weird faces and it's just taking me out of it every it, once you see it, you cannot see it, and it's the only thing you can look at in the scene. I mean, she's the only one in the scene besides Scott anyway, but it's it's when they're in the um in the car in in, in the you know in 
their their room on the train and she is kissing sam and they're playing like he's telling her that he's sam beckett okay that's another thing that we have to get into because didn't they establish in the premise that everybody had to believe that he was tom stratton in order for him to leap and now yeah but diane believed that she that he was her husband because she thought it was role play right exactly but like (laughs) isn't isn't he sort of making isn't he sort of making like a like taking a gamble there right because then he might not leave but but then she sees roger somehow out the window and she backs up (laughs) and that's the scene where she just pulls these faces that are just ridiculous i don't know what she's doing so it's yeah it took me out of the episode every time i watched it and um like i said I, i think that she was fine mostly but i I don't know. I had a hard time buying a lot of her scenes. She was um, really turned on by writs and torts and studying. I <laughs> know. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the acting was fine. Um, I thought this this story was kind of interesting because this uh, really solidifies Sam Beckett's character as far as how far he's willing to go with women. Because uh, in season one, he was horny Sam. Uh, but <laughs> horny Sam is gone now. <laughs> now there's I gotta love her first, which is still questionable. There's some questions going on in this episode. <laughs> um, but he isn't so ready to immediately start making out with a woman or, or doing all that. Like he has some some moral questions about this, which he he kind of has some gray morals about what he thinks is acceptable for for actually getting with someone but i i was surprised that they went there because we had especially in in you know uh the last year or so been talking about that quite a bit on the podcast like mm-hmm. i mean sam is there basically under false pretenses and for all intents and purposes he's having sex with people who think he's somebody else yeah d- he has to have slept with her during this episode because he they eventually go home together or to the hotel or wherever they're at they eventually get off the train at the end of the episode, they're in bed together in pajamas, making out with each other. They had to have slept together, right? Mm-hmm. Mm, I don't know about that because he seemed to be—he seemed to be like, "Okay, I'm going to do it now. I, that's it. I, I'm, I'm Did out." Did they really? After all of that, in between, she still was like uh, the entire time on that honeymoon train. They did not get together. W- wouldn't she find that weird? Well, she's she's got to revise for her exams, you know. <laughs> Didn't they also spell Ritz and Torts uh, wrong on the book? <laughs> it was a typo. They, on it. it spelled yeah. R-I-T-Z, Ritz. <laughs> they, they did write it wrong. There's a typo on the book. Oh, no. But uh, no, and I, I can see them not getting together, Allison, because even if a train is going slow, a trip from New York City where they started out to Niagara Falls is at most by car, like a nine hour drive, maybe 10 with traffic. So if they're on a dedicated rail line, that's just going up and not making any real stops. It's going to take them a, a night to get up to Niagara Falls from Manhattan. So I can see that being disrupted because of the Roger thing. And then all of a sudden they have a dead body in their compartment. They're going to yeah, have I to deal so. with that. I don't think anybody's get laid on that train after I that. I guess if he just <laughs> killed her ex-husband, maybe she wasn't in the mood for it. <laughs> or maybe if, even if she was, you know, I got to do some paperwork over here. I have to call the police station. I have to, you know, I, I have know. to make, you know, I, I really. He, what paperwork is he doing on that train? He doesn't have any paperwork. <laughs> I, I just think that there's going to be a procedure in place for, oh, I just murdered somebody in my cabin in self-defense. 
bench. Sure. Um, yeah. But but okay, take the body away. My wife really really wants it, so you guys got to go. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Did they just keep it in the compartment? Did they give them a new compartment? Did they have to stay with the body the whole time? But I would say by the time that gets straightened out, they're already at Niagara Falls, you know? He just sat in the seat and they're like, don't worry about it. Just put a jacket over his face. Oh, it's weekend of bunnies all over again. You're right. No, she's like, she's like, let's do it in front of him. It serves him right. <laughs> I do like his last line. He says, Next time it will be easier. All right, but we got it. Let's just back up three seconds from that, okay? So Roger is out of the train car. He's trying to climb in the window, and he falls. He fails. So what? He rolls under the train and grabs <laughs> onto the bottom like Indiana Jones style. And then what the fuck? And then how does he get in? Like he's just at the bottom of the train. He'll t- he'll do anything. He's the Terminator. <laughs> can't stop him. <laughs> he will not stop ever. <laughs> That's why Sam had to kill him. But then he comes into their room somehow from behind Sam. They're standing in front of the door. How did he get Mm -hmm. in the room and they didn't notice him? Like, what's going on? He poofed in. (laughs) He's a ninja. (laughs) Did did he have the great kazoo hovering over his shoulder? Hello, (laughs) dum-dums. He had all that experience with uh, hunting Nazis and uh, CIA or whatever, gun smuggling, whatever the fuck he did. (laughs) So he can he can hide in a four by four room that just has like a bunk. <laughs> I had a dream that I grabbed onto the train and snuck in like magic. <laughs> Don't do this, Roger. I do like when he he's he's talking about controlling Diane, and then like Sam's like, "That's no longer strictly a male privilege, pal." Pal, like <laughs> feminist Sam has to come out like, "Excuse me." <laughs> huh? hey, listen, he's heavily influenced by the feminine mystique. <laughs> no, so. not, not a male privilege anymore, pal. No, pal. Listen, pal. <laughs> pal. I like he calls him pal. Listen, bub. <laughs> but, uh, so Sam eventually does kill Roger. There is the gunplay, yeah. but it's but now let's let's go back he stabs to the scene. Him, yeah, but let's go back to the scene where Al is encouraging him. You brought it up right away, Alice, and take him, Sam. Take him. Take him, Sam. Yeah. Uh, is Al advocating that Sam whip out his gun and shoot this guy right here in the middle of a crowded train car? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Al's yeah. like, well, fuck it. Just shoot the guy. What? <laughs> I'll say again. What? Because he's evil. <laughs> he was going to do it. He was reaching for his gun, but like his, his lackey had already taken it from him. So yeah, yeah. But I mean, he couldn't he, do it. Take him, Sam. Like Al is advocating that Sam just shoot somebody right there. Yeah, kind of like they're they're different approaches here. Because I mean, if Sam was going to do it. Maybe he would have chickened out. But like Al is like, if Al was the time traveler, he would have just shot that guy in the middle of a crowded train car. Like, he's like, I, no qualms. I mean, once again, it just seemed logically fallible. Yeah, I feel like you, you probably should consider not just the moral implications, but also it's time travel. So if someone dies, like how many people are affected like what happens if this person dies what changes in history i mean i guess they don't really give a shit about that because he dies anyway but (laughs) they don't care it wasn't in the history books so look it it didn't say anything different but i i feel like this is where that i'm coming against that stupid 80s tv kind of vibe here in the sense that he's just advocating somebody to whip out a gun in the middle of a crowded train car and shoot somebody dead (laughs) he's a cop in cold blood (laughs) yeah that's so TV. That's just so dumb. And I, I just, uh, yeah, I expect better of Donald P. Belisario, to be honest with you. Really? Really? <laughs> and Sam's got no luck on train rides, right? <laughs> that two-year-old train ride that hit Ms. Melney, and <laughs> now there's this. And then Future Boy. 
future boy hit the <laughs> man no luck with trains on this show <laughs> they, they had a bit of backstory about sam because they were talking about his his first train ride um the fact that he was when he was two he could read at five he could do calculus in his head at 10 he could beat a computer at chess how many computers is he facing in 1963 yeah they didn't really have computerized chess back then unless this was just like quantum leaps version of time where 1990 something has a bunch of future stuff that we did not have <laughs> we've seen 63 so many times we you would have thought computerized chess would have popped up at some point yeah well it's because they changed history so many times and they changed it so that uh the future was just boring and looks like now and that's uh where the 2022 series picks up there we go pretty uh, yeah pretty sad <laughs> 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 but for all that, there was some neat stuff in here as well. We get a little bit of uh, Sam's backstory. We get some of Val's backstory here. We learn about the names of a couple of his wives. We get uh, Sharon and mm-hmm. Maxine name right. dropped. I think that's the first time they get name dropped. He took Beth to Niagara Falls on their honeymoon? Yeah, yeah. He doesn't mention her by name yet, but uh, yeah, he says that his first, third, and fifth wives yes. <laughs> he took how to Niagara odd. Falls. Exactly. Yeah, and then Sam says, how odd? That's such a lame joke. How odd? <laughs> such a it's lame dad joke. joke. I love it. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> I, I, I didn't pick up on that until this very second. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah, he says it like, it's such a bad delivery. And then even when Al's just like, haha, very funny, it's like... <laughs> so flat <laughs> how odd yeah watch it again Chris you'll wonder how Al even picks up on it it's so bad like, <laughs> it would just go straight over Al's head the fact that this is it's such a nerdy quantum physicist thing to do right that he thinks how odd is a funny joke <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I mean um, I like the fact that they established that the project is centered around their brainwaves mm-hmm. so yeah. that's the kind of the first inkling uh, that we get of how the project works I, I think in the pilot they do mention that but this may be the first time they mention it's only l like it's designed around their brain waves just them it's also the first time l's revealed as an admiral too it's weird because it's such a big part of his character but season one was not a thing yet no and um there was another bit here that didn't make much sense but it it does in my head canon because i've always said i mean if if Al is in the imaging chamber, anything Sam says, no matter if Al is centered on Sam or isn't centered on Sam, he should be able to hear Sam no matter what, because he's attuned to Sam. So it's like when they're talking on the phone, I get it. Like, you know, he, he can hear him over the phone, but I feel like he should be able to hear Sam regardless. And there's a scene in here where Sam is standing in the corridor and he's calling Al and Al hears him, but Diane doesn't. Like, I don't know if that was just uh, like uh, sort of a, an oversight or a mistake or a goof, but it just sort of cements my headcanon that Sam could murmur under his breath no matter where he is. Al, <laughs> Al should be able to hear him. Right. Is that the scene where he, uh, he treats Al like a dog? Like he's like, here, boy. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. yeah. He is just yelling into the car for Al. And it's like, why would, <laughs> why would she not hear him? <laughs> so yeah and that's you know and and again it it was another thing where you know i think she was just there for eye candy most of the time because she had on that revealing top and al is being lecherous al so we get get to sort of yeah we get to establish that a little bit about his character too so well we knew al was a creep (laughs) that's that's been a consistent character thing yeah but i mean again if somebody had heard about this show and they were tuning in for the first time like you said it's sort of very welcoming sort of very this is how this show works and this is the plot and these are the dynamics the fact that al acted in character was so that people would know what his character acts like (laughs) 
<laughs> All right. If you just listen, it's a podcast. I have to find things to talk about. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, actually, I had a question about Al's uh, status. The senator uh, that's mad at him, Weitzman or otherwise, whoever the hell this guy is, he uh, asks Al. And if there are no changes, will you admit the quantum leap is a failure and go quietly into the sea of retirement? So I don't know. I know in one of the books uh, in uh, Prelude, they have like Al retire early on, like before they create the project. But as far as the show goes, I mean, is he retired? Is he just saying Mm. he wants him to retire afterward? I don't really know how military positions work like if are you still admiral if you're retired and all that i haven't the foggiest yeah no idea i mean i guess he'd still have his dress whites and stuff it's not like you're like not in the military anymore but i don't know what his rank is i mean like is he retired or is he an active admiral to me it seems like he would have to be an active duty officer right active duty in this case being an oversight like an admin capacity yeah, the Navy is definitely involved in some way because there's a, a Navy officer sitting next to him the whole time as yeah. well. And we see them at the project uh, during various episodes. So I don't know. I guess maybe he's active and they're just saying, like, get out of here and retire and get out of our hair. I think that's, yeah, I think that's the implication. Like, I, unless if you had not read that in Prelude that he had done the retirement ceremony and all that, which is not canon anyway, um, yeah. I don't think <laughs> well, it would it even be, <laughs> it, wouldn't, it wouldn't even be a question. You know what I mean? Like, to me, Al is active duty. He's an admiral. Right. With, you know, withstanding, and he's, he's, now mm. his job is to run these projects. I don't know what he did on Starbright besides hit a vending machine with a hammer. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess both of these had some sort of military ties, and that's how he got involved with them. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, he looks good in his dress whites. He's in his admiral mode, which, again, we didn't see that in season one because that wasn't established. But it's it's interesting that shift between lecherous Al on the train and Al at the committee meetings. Yeah. When he thinks the project is shutting down and uh, that senator tells him to, like, take his medicine and sit down, he looks pissed. He yeah. looks like, I'm going to take him. <laughs> take him, Sam. <laughs> take him, Sam. <laughs> I, yeah, and I, I like that juxtaposition because we're used to more of a flamboyant Al, but Dean nailed those scenes in front of the committee yeah. and just his patient explanation of how the project works and correcting them, like gently correcting them. But there wasn't a lot of hysterics or, you know, uh, you know, this this committee will come to order or any kind of like bullshit yeah. like that. It was just him calmly explaining and he just sold me completely. Like Dean was terrific in this. What a great actor that he he made us believe that that was the same character. There was so much to Al, <laughs> but it never felt like, you know, this wasn't him. It just felt like different facets of that character. For sure. The facet that I loved most was Al's outfits here. I mean, Jean-Pierre did an amazing job on the two. I think we saw two or three, right? Or Right. But that gray and green one. Yeah, that green one that he had when he was uh, floating above the tree and the earlier parts of the train. I think there was a, a red outfit that he was wearing during the uh, the almost hug. Yeah, yeah. and he's, he's got a little sunglasses <laughs> as his tie clip and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, yeah, and then his dress whites, yeah. Yeah, and um, they had uh, some future fashions for the senators, too. I mean, Senator yeah. Hardass was wearing this weird bolo collar. What, what was yeah. that? It looked dumb. <laughs> yeah, some of them didn't work as well as others, but uh, it was kind of interesting because from a distance, they looked like fairly normal outfits, but then you looked at like the details and there was like weird little collars and stuff like that, which felt consistent with Owl's outfits. They usually have like little cutouts in the collars or they're kind of weird details. Other than the yeah. fact that they were crazy colors, there were like different cuts to them. 
Uh, they also had the like future microphones, <laughs> like, yes. little light up things in front of them. The light up ones. Little light up pieces of plastic. <laughs> yeah, that was cool. But uh, otherwise, it just looked like um kind of a boring room that you would have any sort of like this type of meeting in. It didn't look like the future, so it was just like these little details. Yeah, and I thought it was subtle. I thought it was it was really cool because it, yeah, it, I thought like that kind of fit. Like it didn't feel like oh, this is too over the top. Right. And again, if you're trying to bring in more of a mainstream audience, it's it's something that's recognizable, but just different enough where, you know, if you really want to pay attention to that stuff, you get you get to notice it. And if yeah. it's something that you're not interested in, it's not going to distract you. What distracted me is when Diane comes, old Diane comes in in the end, and she's wearing this <laughs> dowdy little house on the prairie outfit. Oh, what, yeah, what they the were hell? trying so hard to make her look old. It did not work. <laughs> It did not work. <laughs> and she's like, my mood, this is how I talk. <laughs> yeah, um, but at that moment, it, it just sent my mind reeling, you know? Like, I, I just think about that moment all the time <laughs> where history changes in front of Al, and he is the only one that notices. Uh, we talked about this on the podcast many times. It's come up in the uh, the books. Um, the fact that Al seems to be the only one who knows the timelines are changing like such fascinating and, and horrifying implications in that yeah i mean the, the yeoman sitting next to him she she apparently didn't notice uh, i, I no. assume she was a yeoman yeah. and this goes back to how does the project work is this the result of the brainwave involvement right so i i i, I wanted to dig into that a little bit with you guys because if Reality is shifting around him, and he's noticing how. How is he noticing? It's got to be something to do with his link with Ziggy and yeah. the, the brainwave thing. But then where is Ziggy's – like, where is Ziggy's sphere of influence? Like, how how far out does it reach? Like, you got to figure that uh, Al is in D.C. at this hearing unless they called some kind of quorum somewhere in New Mexico because they wanted to be closer to the project or whatever. But you you got to think he's he's off the project grounds 100%. They're not having it at the project, this meeting. So Al is hooked up to Ziggy somehow through his brainwaves, but he's in D.C. and he can still witness history changing around him and, and be cognizant of it. Maybe he's the, the, the bionic man. He's got pieces of Ziggy just installed into him <laughs> so, wherever he goes. How much of this is Al aware of in terms of what to expect? Because... Surely, as soon as the senators say, eh, "Go and go and change a big bit of history," and then you know we'll we'll spot it and we'll sign this off for another year, why doesn't Al turn around and say, "But you're you're not going to, you're not going to spot the changes." I will because I've I've got a bit of Ziggy in me. Because the the whole plot of that falls apart if you think yeah. about it for two seconds. Exactly. Like the, I, I feel like there should have been some other thing. <laughs> yes. That they they should have put at stake there yeah like to say like if you don't do this or you know or send us a message or something you know they could have been like have him write us a message and then like you find that hidden somewhere you know back to the future style or something yeah, yeah. some drop other the, way to prove it the and then they're like okay yeah. we have our proof now you need to change this now you need to do this you know there could have been ways to go about this that seemed less dumb yeah yeah yeah, but I guess they would have to. Yeah, they would have to find out where Sam is, and he would have to squirrel something away somewhere where it wouldn't be disturbed for what forty years. Yeah, but they know where Sam is, or at least they know where Al says that he is. So no, no, I understand that. But then, how long before he leaps, and what what does he do? You know what I mean? That that I like yeah, that but idea. I mean, it should be instant for them if that's what they say that they're supposed to do. 
Sam would have to find a suitable location to put it. I think it would be better to like maybe get a safe deposit box or something like that. Or just just put a bunch of money in an envelope. Put a bunch of money in an envelope, send it to his his lawyer, and he'll hold on to it yeah. for 40 years or whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Uh, I'm starting to remember. Yeah. Put the letter yeah, in I the mean, box. If, you, <laughs> if the implications of Al remembering all this stuff, if it's too horrifying for people, I guess you could kind of compare it to uh, the ending of season four when Al dies temporarily. Sam doesn't immediately forget that Al existed, but he's starting to. So mm-hmm. I guess you could maybe say that some changes Al might be aware of or Sam might be aware of, but then it slowly fades from their mind. That could be. You gotta hope. It still has to be Al specifically because other people don't seem to notice, but maybe that's what was going yeah, on. Yeah, but and maybe that's because Sam is saying, I don't want to forget him in that, right? And leave for Lisa. I'm fighting to remember him. So maybe it's a process. Right, but he do- if it works like it logically would, he probably would immediately forget him rather than slowly. No, but Al, Al has to remember the changes in the timeline because otherwise all the times in the episodes, in any episode where he refers to an event from a previous episode, he'd be like, hey, Sam, remember that time when you leaped out? I have no idea why you did that because, you know, history just turned out <laughs> the way it was. That was, a bit, that was a pointless leap, wasn't it? That Lee Harvey Oswald thing. Uh, the show makes no sense. <laughs> the show makes no sense. <laughs> oh, you know, you know, it's just a fun discussion in the sense that, you know, to try to make this work and to try to give it some logical consistency. And I thought that we were onto sure. something with the Back to the Future style ripple effect, you know, like it doesn't take <laughs> effect immediately, but it will eventually catch up to you in the timeline, right? Yeah, I, I think the thing that makes the most sense to me is that something to do with Al's connection to Ziggy makes it so that he remembers because he's got to get the information to Sam. Ziggy's got to remember this stuff because otherwise nothing ever really makes sense. So I guess that sort of made sense in my mind. It's it's just fun to play with. And I, I like the fact that Don pulled a little trick at the end and did some fun with time travel. As yeah. jarring as it was to Al in the room, it was as jarring for the viewer, too. So it was another way to say, hey, look look how neat the show can be, right? And uh, I think it was also giving something to the time travel fans out there that maybe are more science fiction minded, which which I enjoyed. So that's what I'm saying. A mixed bag, kind of a mess, but, you know. Yeah, I think they were just playing with it a little more than they they usually did. And I didn't mind the split stuff between the the present and the past in that because I felt like they the stories connected. Like it felt like everything that was happening with Al affected what was going on uh in the past stuff and it affected Sam and the stories interwove in an interesting way and I think that's something that they did not or have not yet really captured in the new show but i think like there's a way to do it to like interweave the two stories Uh, i don't know if i necessarily would have wanted to see the stuff in honeymoon express every week i wouldn't want to see the committee like always this big mwahaha obstacle that they have to get over but i think occasionally as a running thing it would have been okay occasionally seeing things going on in al's life more than we did would have been okay yeah, I'm kind of glad that they dropped the conceit of the committee almost immediately after this because it just seems to me a weak weak villain and it seems like it would just be repetitive. Like, okay, we're going to be threatened with our funding again. Like, who cares? Yeah, bureaucratic nonsense can only yeah. be so entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> Red tape and all that. <laughs> but it certainly, you know, I mean, it could pose a problem maybe that's mentioned occasionally. I don't know. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I, I, I'm i just, I'm glad that the show decided to go a different way. Sure. Most of the time you just want to see what's happening in the leap. Yeah, You want exactly. to watch a time travel show. Who cares about what's going on in present day most of the time? <laughs> but yeah. Oh, I, I did have a very important question for you guys. <laughs> Where do you lay on the long haired Sam thing? Would you prefer long hair or short hair Sam? Long hair. Ah, yeah. I found the hair a little distracting, to be honest with you. I like medium hair. Medium, medium hair. hair. Oh. <laughs> like, I feel like the long hair in the earlier seasons is too distracting. And I think like that Nazi bowl cut that he gets in the fifth season is way distracting. I don't know what you're talking about with the haircut in season five. The, the fa- you've several times knocked on the hair, hair he has in season five. I don't think it was that short. It was way short. It was ridiculously it w- short. It was not trial of old drum ridiculous. No, come on. <laughs> But no, I I think like his long hair, it like it, it makes him seem more like a golden retriever, which I feel is very much his personality. Yes. <laughs> um, when Aww. I first watched first watched Quantum Leap, I got used to the long hair. Like he didn't have it in season one, but then he had it through all of season two, and it was a little shorter in season three. But I remember being like bummed out. I'm like, oh man, he cut his hair. Like I liked it better long. <laughs> but I think like now I kind of like you know, I'm I'm cool with either one of them, but. I think sometimes his long hair was styled kind of weird, but it was cute in this episode. Uh, I, all right. I, mean, I thought. <laughs> <laughs> Cut your hair, hippie. <laughs> Thelma would be appalled. Anyway, that was my last note. I just put, I put premiere of long-haired Sam. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's, that's important stuff. Hey, forget about the hair. Did you find it a little odd that uh, Al can sex a cat at a distance? Oh, he knows. <laughs> he knows. <laughs> what are you doing, Sam? Trying to save Ginger. That name is probably why he's up here in the first place. He. It was named Ginger. Maybe he saw the, the balls. You know. <laughs> yeah. Didn't he do that in, in How the Test Was Won? Was that a raccoon or something? I don't know. I think the pig. He knew oh, it was the pig. He can sex yeah, a pig at a distance. So now, yeah. So yeah. that's more allure. Yeah. He just knows with animals, but I feel like sexing a guy cat would be easier than a girl because, yes. I mean, unless it was spayed or neutered. I guess neutered if it was a guy, but maybe. <laughs> maybe there was a way to do it. <laughs> and Matt, tell me that you have that prop of the Project uh, Quantum Leap dossier, the one with the purple stripe running down the oh. cover that Senator Hardass uses. If only. One of these days I'll make myself a, a, a mock-up. It's, it feels fairly easy. Yeah, I, that was it was just like okay, that's weird. This is a top secret project, but you have like a like a, a three inch dossier that just has it right written right on the cover. It's like yeah. that document doesn't look very secure to me. Yeah, <laughs> I, uh, I liked the guy on the train. Was he a porter? The one that was like telling them. Oh yeah, he's fun. Asking about the cart and the wine and all that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, the porter. Okay, yeah. the porter. Yeah, because <laughs> like, like Sam's saying all these weird things to him about like you know oh, prepare both beds on the bunk or whatever. Oh, I've seen and then it he all. walks away and he just says how oh, white folks. <laughs> white folks. <laughs> it's so funny. To like him and the the conductor, I think one of the people on the train, like. That gets, like, knocked out by Roger, and then, like, Sam goes, and he's like, I need a gun, and it's like, oh, no, he's a cop, just give it to him, and they give him, like, the old gun, like, that's standard issue, like, decades ago. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There was the one guy on the train, too, I kind of liked all the, like, little bit characters on the train, there was the one guy, maybe that was the conductor, I don't know, where, like, 
he's asking who pulled the emergency brake. Like, he's not going to do anything until he figures out what's going on. And Sam's, like, in the middle of a gunfight. And he's like, oh, I did it. We got to get out of here. And then, like, I don't remember if it was Roger or his lackey. Someone starts shooting at them. And that guy's face, like, (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) his perspective, what is going on? (laughs) It was his lackey right before he fell under the train. Now, the the guy is trying to get onto the train. And he's obviously having trouble. And Sam is reaching toward him. But does it look like he's trying very hard? It didn't seem like he was trying that hard, but... Did Sam let that guy fall? I guess they were trying to show that, you know, he he would try to save someone before ultimately what happens with Roger. I, I guess. But yeah, I guess. it yeah. didn't it, seem like he was It didn't look like hard. he was exerting himself all over. Oh, no, I can't reach. Oh, no. Oh, no. Try. Yeah. Oh, darn. Oh, you fell into the bummer. Tra- <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, anyway. Anyway. But, uh, yeah, I think those are the last of the last of mm-hmm. my notes. The sexing the pig in that book was uh, was pretty cool. So sexing the right. pig's a, a good point to right. end on. Yeah, right? <laughs> so now we know that Al can sex a pig and a cat at a distance. I don't know uh, that there's really anything else to talk about in this episode. Guys, you want to do some final thoughts on sure. Honeymoon Express? Yes. Allison Pregler. I think this is a great episode. I think it's got lots of interesting things. Uh, lots of uh, moments with Sam and Al that are good. Uh, some of their best moments. So, yeah, uh, I really recommend this one. Matthew? Yeah, top episode. Uh, again, yeah, the, the Sam and Al stuff is, is so good. Some really great interplay between them. The action is fun. Yes, it's classic 80s, 90s stuff, but uh, it's, it's entertaining. And future projecty stuff. Yeah, it's a good episode. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for all I, I was dunking on it, I, I think it's an enjoyable episode. I just think that it's an uneven episode. And it's funny, you can lift almost all of the Roger crap out of it and still have a fun episode. That's what I mean. It's like, it, it's so disjointed. It's like there are three different things going on here and none of them really intersect until the very end. And um, yeah, I, maybe I'm being a little too hard on it. Uh, I don't know that I'd recommend it, but um, I think that it's fine when it comes in the rotation. I'm not going to skip it. Maybe I'll skip it. I don't know. Oh, you know what? I don't know. You guys haven't convinced me. What about for when Sam's going to hug Al? <laughs> How could you not recommend yeah, that? Like I said, a little manipulative. So, eh. Anyway, I think the train has left the station on Honeymoon Express, <laughs> and this is usually um, where I throw to a break, but we don't have an interview or anything or any kind of um, like legacy interview to, to run with this one. So do you guys mind if we just push through? Because I have, a, through. Yeah. Yeah, I have a patron to announce. I'd like to welcome on Ooh. board our new Quantum Leap Book Club patron, Busamuta. 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 What hey, a fun name. Busamuta. <laughs> Busamuda. Busamuda. That's going to be fun to say. We're going to say that every episode now. Busamuda. What does Busamuda <laughs> think? Busamuda joined us at the $3 book club level, which means that they will be getting, or probably already gotten by this point, because I'm very good at that. Uh, I mailed off uh, their bookmark, and um, they are now an official part of the Quantum Leap Podcast book club. Um, just in time, because we're going to be doing a book show next. So thank you, Busamuda, for all of your support. Thank you for uh, finding the show. And deciding to go the extra mile and support us on Patreon. Uh, anyone out there who wants to be like Busamuda, join the book club or see what other perks we offer, you can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash quantum leap podcast. And we do have an interesting bit of feedback that just came in last week. And I was wondering this as well. So um, another one of our supporters, Tom Ahern, uh, wrote, Dear QLP, I was just wondering if you could clarify what effect the ongoing writership 
strike is having on the show. Has production stopped entirely during the strike? Thomas. And um, Matt, I, I believe that you have some insight on this because I've been curious about that exact same thing. Yeah, so I've been following this quite closely throughout the year. So there's obviously there was rumors about the strike coming up for quite some time. So the the plan all along, at least as far back as early this year, was that the team were going to push through and have their mid-year hiatus uh, in production through June and July. So when February came and they closed down production on season one, the day after that, they went straight into production on season two with the plan of just running straight the way through to the end of May, which they did. So they were able to get eight episodes in the can, of which seven of them were just produced as normal. Um, by the time they got to the eighth episode, the, the writer's strike had already started, so they had to have a, a set free of writers, which is unusual for this season. Uh, they, they usually have the writers on set available to support, but uh, obviously because of the strike, they couldn't do that. So the eighth episode will just have been produced as per the script, as it was locked down before the strike started. But they have they have eight episodes done. Uh, they're on a two-month break, as they'd planned. If the writer's strike ends before the end of July, then everything goes back as normal. Uh, if it goes on longer than that, then obviously they end up with uh, a plan B. But there's only... Uh, they, they were commissioned for 13 episodes so far for this season, so they're already more than halfway through their run of that. Um, with obviously the, the hope of more. Um, but yeah, so the potentially uh, no effect. There's also the, the quite interesting possibility because a lot of the, uh, the competition did not do the same thing Quantum Leap did. And there are a lot of other shows that do not have any episodes in the can ready for September. So Quantum Leap could be the only new drama going uh, airing brand new episodes in September. Wow, that's something. Well, yeah, yeah let's thank you for that update because that gives me at least hope that we'll be able to see at least eight episodes, which is good, yeah. and um, get to see the new dynamic because I'm really, I'm really relieved that it's not going to be pushed back um, mm. indefinitely because of the strike. Um, whether or not you know they get past that eight. Who knows? But when you say plan B, like, I know that this show still has to go on. So, like, what do they do? Like, do they get, um, like, non-union writers in? The reason I ask this is because I'm listening to Mission Log and I'm watching the, I think, the second second season of Next Gen. And they mentioned <laughs> in Mission Log that Next Gen was suffering on the second season because of the writer strike, an ongoing writer strike, yet they were still producing episodes. So, can they just, what do they just like take scripts that might have been submitted by somebody that wasn't in the room and, and use those because they're already written and they've been submitted and they decide to buy it? Like, how, how does that plan B look? Like, what is that, what, how does that work in, in real life? But who, who is the they in this case? Because the, the producers of the show are all writers and um, most of them have been seen on the picket line. I, I imagine potentially all of them are there. So, are they going to be doing that kind of work around, or are they going to be saying, "Well, yeah, the, the strike is still ongoing, so we're not we're not going to produce the show." That's a good point. That's a good point. So let's just hope it gets resolved. Let's hope the writers yes, get everything that they need. You know, yeah. I think yeah, yeah. it's uh, they have a perfectly valid criticism and complaint about their residuals, especially in the streaming environment, and it's absolutely it's, it's criminal. 
how little yeah. they're paid compared to what these shows generate. So we're we're standing with you writers. Anyway, I am. I don't want to speak for you guys. I know, Allison, you hate writers, oh, right? Absolutely. They no, should starve. I'm, I'm down. <laughs> I'm down with the strike. Uh, Pro strike. Get what you're worth, man. But I think, yeah, I mean, the, the, the plan B I alluded to would, would presumably be those last five episodes get delayed a little bit. And keep in mind, the last season, eight episodes kept us going right the way up until the end of the year. So episode nine didn't air until January. So they've already got, you know, by that standard, they've got until then. But yeah, those five episodes could just be delayed a little bit. Uh, if things get really bad, they could be cancelled altogether and we don't get any new episodes until the 24 to 25 season. But we, we've got eight episodes. That's that's what we know. And we also know that Mason is in London for a time uh, headlining Cabaret, which I'm going to be very excited to go and see soon. Yeah, you're going to have to give us a, a review here on the show. Yes. Yeah, I think it's the first time that I've heard of um, anyone I know seeing this main cast doing something other than Quantum Leap, like outside yes. of Quantum Leap. So I, I mean, I Mason's been here in Manhattan uh, doing stuff on Broadway too, but it was before the series premiered. It was like the summer before the series premiered. So, so yeah, tell us how they are. I'm sure they're going to be uh, spectacularly entertaining. And are you going to try to go up and get an autograph or or a photo? Oh, I don't know. I, yes, of course I will do. I'll, I'll be stage dooring. I'm, I'm, I'm a terrible person for that. Um, the the interesting thing as well, I, I don't know how long uh, Mason's due to be here for, but uh, as I mentioned, the, the plan was for June and July hiatus, and um, I, the ticket for Cabaret I've got is for 1st of September. Wow. So maybe they were planning to be on a break regardless? <laughs> Well, no, the, 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 the planned break was just these two months. No, but I, I got to think that if you're going to be doing like headlining a show like Cabaret, right? I mean, there is some kind of planning that needs to go into that. So, Oh, absolutely. There would normally be working around Mason's schedule. So maybe yes. the September thing was already like cooked into their scheduling. You know, maybe yeah. maybe they were working both the show and and both being aware of the commitments to the other one. Yeah, yeah. I think it would be odd for for them to go to this impromptu production of Cabaret. Yes, that is now going to be lasting longer because they don't know if the strike is going to end or not. I feel like that that's probably already been prearranged, even though it is September first. I get what you're saying. A hundred percent. I just mean um, the the point. Going back to the point I made that okay, yes, if the strike ends tomorrow, uh, it's only a two month hiatus. They're back first of August, but actually Mason is not back first of August because Mason is in London for at least mm -hmm. another month. Hmm. Interesting. I also find it interesting that they only ordered uh, thirteen episodes for season two so far. Or was that final order? Did you say that with with the chance of more? Yeah, that was a so far with a chance of more. And I think that came down to the fact that it was an early renewal because, of course, we, we found out about that in December, which was staggeringly early Yeah, uh, yeah. In, in American TV terms. So I get why NBC wouldn't commit to a full season order when they'd only had uh, eight episodes uh, by that point. I see. So I it see. Was, it was quite a risk anyway. Got it. Well, I'm glad they took it. I'm glad yeah. they took it. So, well, thank you, Matt. You're always a font of information. My pleasure. That's what I'm here for. 
buy my book. All right. So Thomas, I hope we answered your question. Um, uh, I think that's as substantive of an answer as you're likely to hear anywhere. So um, everybody applaud Matt Dale. Applaud Thomas for asking. <laughs> Applaud Busa Muta. Busa Muta. If you would like to be like Thomas A. Hearn and quiz Matt on the many um, comings and goings of the entire cast of the new Quantum Leap, there are many ways that you can do so. You can write us a letter at P.O. Box 542, Bayport, New York, 11705. You can reach us by phone at 707-847-6682. You can email us at quantumleappodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash quantumleappodcast. You can follow us on Instagram at quantumleappodcast or Twitter at quantumleappod. You can also find us on YouTube at youtube.com slash thequantumleappodcast. And as I said earlier, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. Just remember, we may use your response on an upcoming episode of the Quantum Leap Podcast. And I know uh, that we're doing a book show next, but before we uh, reveal the title, Matt, is there anything going on over at YouTube? I know that you've been busy producing some stuff. Is there new stuff for people to see? Yeah, there's. Uh, it's. I've been a bit on hold the last couple of weeks because I've been finishing up work on Beyond the Mirror Image Volume 2. So there's a lot of stuff backed up. But uh, recently we've had... Comic book writers Bill Spangler and Bob Ingersoll, uh, Julie Barrett, who wrote uh, The Quantum Leap A to Z, and George Broderick, who was the editor of the comics range. Uh, we do have interviews in the canon, just, just pending me getting around to editing them, with Mindy Peterman, who wrote uh, Song and Dance. And uh, there's a great one with Christina Mavrudis, who was uh, big in the fan community back in the 90s and wrote the comic that almost was and, and was uh, would have been the next comic when the range was cancelled. The what the the what the baby one? The baby one. The baby <gasps> one. So we, we talk, oh, we talk I'm a bunch about that. that. So that's that's gonna be fun. And uh, there's a, a couple of other people involved in the comic book range who I'm just trying to pin down with timings, but they've they've agreed to come on. So the next few weeks between new interviews and slightly older interviews that I just haven't edited yet uh, we've got stuff coming up. Um, I think there's at least one interview still outstanding from the from the the series as well um, that we've just oh, not really? finished editing yet. Uh, yeah, Bart. Yeah, we've we've not oh, edited right, Bart. Bart. Yet. Oh, he was the coolest guy ever. The coolest guy ever, and we've, we've not edited his uh, his his interview from the beach just post surf. Right, right. So, oh my, this guy is the suavest motherfucker you've ever seen. But uh, <laughs> he was so much fun to talk to. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, when we when yeah, please let's let's uh, let's let everybody know when that one was released because yes. I had a fun time talking to Bart. Yeah, he yeah. was really cool. So, oh wow, so so much stuff going on over there, and I I believe congratulations is in order for you for Beyond the Mirror Image. Uh, you are getting volume one to the the printer for mock-up are you not i i'm getting uh volume two i've just sent a proof uh or i've just ordered up a proof for myself for later this week so that's the the guide to the new series and everything that's happened over the last 30 years that's led up to that volume one is nearly finished designing um i should have the finished designs next weekend Sorry, this is all by recording date, so that by the time this episode actually goes out, I may well have it. And then, um, yeah, proofs maybe mid to late June, and then shipping out after that. So, yes. Well, congrats, man. That's a, that's a big deal. Thank you. 
Is there a website that our listeners can go to if they're late to the party, if they want to check out or reserve a copy? Or Yeah, best place to go to is forevertv.co.uk, and that will get you information on all three of the books. Sweet, sweet deal. Well, congratulations, really, Matt. Thank so, you. speaking of books, hey, it's time for another meeting of the Quantum Leap Podcast Book Club. Our next show, we will be discussing the book Double or Nothing. And this is usually where one of us reads the cover blurb. It's not going to be me because the book is somewhere in a box downstairs. So, oh, I got it, man. Oh, I got you. God, <laughs> you know what? Like, I, uh, I wanted to read a, a copy on my tablet, uh, but this one, for some reason, I didn't have it. It, and I was like, oh, man, I'm going to have to read, like, the physical book like an animal. <laughs> so I have one right here. <laughs> All right, you guys ready for double or nothing? Oh, yeah, bring it on. All right. One leap, two bodies. May 10, 1986. Sam leaps into a hard-living trucker faced with family and financial disaster. May 10th, 1986. Sam leaps into a brilliant university professor, a man who seems to have it all. Back at the project, Ziggy announces she is sick. The man in the waiting room won't wake up, and Al, unable to contact Sam, is feeling increasingly desperate. As of May 10, 1986, Sam is on a collision course with himself, trapped in twin brothers who are mortal enemies. Quantum Leap, double or nothing, an all-new adventure, first time in print. The gimmicks have landed! Wow. And if I remember rightly, the, the novel is actually even madder than the cover blurb gives it credit for. I mean, it's oh, just, I started reading it's it. It's crazy. insane. It's insane. <laughs> there's, an interesting, insane. there's an interesting story behind that book and how it got written, right. if, if I recall correctly, which we will go into on the Ooh. next show. So I can't wait to, to talk about that little bit of uh, the novel range lore. But until that time, I have been Christopher D. Philippus. I've been Alison Pregler. And I've been Matt Dale. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Quantum Leap podcast, hosted by Allison, Matt, and Chris, with voice talent and contributions from Hayden McQueenie and Zoe Dean. To support the show, please go to patreon.com slash quantum leap podcast. The executive producer of the Quantum Leap podcast is Albert Burge. Christopher D. Philippus and Hayden McQueenie are the co-executive producers. Special thanks to our producers, Harold Sullivan, Glenda Palma, Chris, a.k.a. Brackmang, Mike Covert, Jeff Kiska, Craig Riedler, Cosplay Dad, Charles Allen Gossard, and Morgan Felden. The thoughts expressed on this podcast are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those of the Quantum Leap podcast, its partners, or affiliates. The Quantum Leap universe and all it contains is the property of Belisarius Productions and Universal Television. The Quantum Leap podcast is not affiliated with Belisarius Productions or Universal Television, and no copyright infringement is intended. The Quantum Leap podcast is a barren space production. Okay, take the body away. My wife really, really wants it. So you guys gotta go.